All right, turn in your Bibles once again to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, as we close out our precious time together. As we do this, let me begin with just a small word that has nothing to do with the passage. Um, and that is, I just want to say thank you on behalf of um, Hudson and myself for your kindness and your love toward us. We've definitely felt the love of Christ being with you. Um, we've, uh, of course, I knew Philip before coming here, but the majority of you, a couple of you I've, I've known from, whether it's Mayus Bible College or other conferences or an IBF or whatever the case is, but for the most part, um, is a privilege meeting you for the first time. Thank you for your love, for taking good care of us, um, and for just receiving us in the name of the Lord as your family. So thank you. Most of all, thank you for listening to the Word of God with such attentiveness. And you can know that as I leave here, and as Hudson leaves here, you remain in our prayers as we all run this race toward that prize of seeing the face of Jesus Christ. So, thank you. Philippians chapter 3, and what I would like to do, and I understand it takes a couple extra minutes, but it's worth it. I'd like to read the whole chapter, since we've gone through the whole chapter, and and what I'd like is as we read it, kind of let your hearts just be touched with the things that have touched us along the way, and uh, when those certain phrases come out that have really hit home for you, I'll, I'll try to read it slowly. Just remember what the Lord's taught you. And um, be excited that he intends to change us. So Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it's safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcision the eighth day of the people of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on for the goal, for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. 
and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for this majestic chapter that you've placed in your word. Thank you for the incredible instruction that pertains so closely to the life we're living in 2018. Thank you that it applies to the situations we're going to face tomorrow, that it applies to where our heart is today. Lord, I ask that once again, you apply our heart to wisdom or teach us to apply our heart to wisdom. Lord, I pray that we would be doers of the word and not hearers only, not like a man who looks in a mirror and then goes away and forgets what he looks like. But as we look into the mirror of your word one more time this weekend, oh Lord, may the picture we see be so vivid and so blatant that we cannot forget what we look like. That we might change more and more into the image of your son. And that Christ would be glorified in and through our life. We pray this in the holy name of Jesus. Amen. We have a very special topic to discuss. And yet, it's a topic that, though it's beautiful and the promise is wonderful, it's a topic that we oftentimes don't really embrace. And when I say we don't really embrace it, I mean practical embracing. Very practical, uh, just saying, this is my identity. I, I told you earlier this week about, um, about airports, how people like to classify me as different things. From a terrorist to a drug dealer to just whatever else. Sometimes you can flip the game around on them, though. And that's fun to do. I did it once in Thailand. Um, I was uh, going into the country, and the immigration lines were incredibly long in Bangkok that day. I mean, really long. And I don't know, I was going to have to wait probably a solid hour to get through the line to collect my baggage. And then I saw one line down at the end. Nobody was in it. And then I looked above, and I saw the board that was above, and it said, for diplomats and officials only. I thought, man, it would be nice if I was a diplomat or official. And then it hit me. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. It says, you are an ambassador of Jesus Christ. So I don't know any more real citizenship I have than that. So I skipped the entire line and walked up to the front, and there was a, a, a little Thai lady that was there. And I looked at her and I said, this is for diplomats and officials only, right? She said, yes. I said, then here you go. And I passed her my documents, and I was in within 30 seconds. <laughs> um, true story. But, but in all reality, that's reality too, but like in all reality, what are the implications of our citizenship being in heaven? What, how does that change our life and our living now? That's what I want us to see because this entire journey of knowing Christ and having one passion, one pursuit, one prize, it's actually extremely practical. And, and, and let's look into how it takes that form. I would like us to read a couple other passages just so I can pull from all of these. So let's first read from what I just quoted in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 
And then we're going to go over to 1 Peter, and we'll read a couple verses there, and then we'll discuss them all. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And we'll start in verse 16, and we'll read to the end of the chapter. From now on, this is since we're in Christ, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2. Verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on your day of visitation. All right, so now that we've seen these different elements... Let's think through the implications of our citizenship being in heaven. Now, when you think about our citizenship being in heaven, one of the things we have to recognize right away is if my citizenship is in heaven, it means that I'm not a local here. Now, that might sound really simple, but the implications are extremely deep. It means that I don't have, understand this, I don't have the rights of citizenship here. What does that mean for me? Well, the world gives you a lot of rights. The Geneva Convention gives you a lot of rights. Being under the United Nations gives you a lot of rights. The Indian government will give you rights. But you have to understand that the things you once called your rights are now not your rights anymore. Unlike countries on earth, I'm a dual citizen on earth with the United States and Senegal. But in heaven, there's no dual citizenship. You can't be a citizen of heaven and also, in the heart level, a citizen of earth. They don't go together. In other words, once you become a citizen of heaven, you understand that your culture has changed. And you also understand your rights have changed. Because now, what is my right? Well, my right is that I deny myself. That I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God, who died and gave himself for me. See, now I no longer am entitled to certain things. I no longer have the right to get angry when the world doesn't treat me well. I don't have the right to get angry when, um, when, when, when maybe somebody says something against me. Like that, I don't have those rights anymore because now I'm part of a totally different kingdom. All right, but let's think too about culture. 
the culture in which you live, it would be so easy for you to assume that you are part of Indian culture. Really easy. And many of you probably claim that. And I'm not judging you for claiming that. Many times I've claimed cultures. But that is no longer your culture. I know on earth when we switch citizenships, we still maintain our old culture. I get that. But that's not the way it works spiritually. There's a culture of heaven. And this entire chapter has been about the culture of heaven. See, the culture of heaven, when you get cancer, you haven't lost anything. When you lose your job, you haven't lost anything. When the world gets angry at you, you haven't lost anything. You see, it's totally different. The way I speak is not going to be a certain accent. It's totally fine to have your beautiful Indian accents. It's totally fine that I have some form of an American accent. It's totally fine that we carry the skin tone of perhaps our people group. But our speech is no longer the same. Our accent might be, but not our words. Because now we completely communicate in a different way. We have a new filter through which everything goes. Dress? Well, in many ways, maybe we dress similarly. But even our dress, even the way we look to the world, is get, and when I say dress, I'm not talking about fabric. We dress ourselves for action in the Word of God. We take up the armor of God. We are like Romans chapter 13, 11 to 14. That, that, that we put on, we put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, we have the Lord Jesus, but we put him on. See, there's a new form of dress that we wear. There's a new form of, um, of fruit that we're trying to communicate because maybe as a culture on earth, we're trying to communicate something about our country. I'm still doing that. I'm trying to communicate something about my country. I want the world to be like, wow. I want to go to where you're headed. I want to be part of this country that you're a part of. And see, this is the beautiful thing. We're going to get into something called homesickness in just a minute. And when I say I'm a citizen of heaven, I believe one of the greatest attributes that a Christian can have is homesickness. In fact, I'll suggest to you that one of the most disappointing things that I see in the church, one of them, there's a few, is when I don't see Christians homesick. When they act as though they're already home. When they treat this world as though they don't want to leave. There was a professor at... Um, Dallas Theological Seminary, his last name was Hendricks, uh, Howard Hendricks? Howard Hendricks. And he, he died recently, but he said this, he said, many people think that they live in the land of the living and they're headed towards the land of the dead, but in reality they live in the land of the dying and we're headed toward the land of the living. I wonder what our lives would look like culturally, heaven culturally if we truly embraced the fact that we soon get to be forever with the Lord. See, C.S. Lewis painted it very well in uh, Surprised by Joy, I think he talks about it, but also The Weight of Glory, another book he wrote. And, and there's a, a word, and, and, and you have to bear with me, okay? I need everyone listening like really well for like the next two minutes because this is a, a hard thing to communicate in, in any language, okay? So I'm going to do my best. But, um, but it's not going to be good, okay? Um, there's a word in German. It's Zengsut. And we don't have a word in English for it. Um, it. It basically means homesick for something that you've never experienced. Okay, so that's kind of the idea. So, so the picture here is that inside all of us, there's, have, you, have you ever had a situation where it's like in your mind, you almost, 
It's like you have this vision of an ideal setting in your mind, and it's almost like you have memories from there. It's like you dream about this place, but you've actually never even been there. Or maybe if you're a musician, you, you, even if you're not, you'll have this. You have like this, this almost song that's in your head that, that like brings up some kind of nostalgia, and yet you've never actually heard the song sung but it's there and it plays and it's like there's just like this sense of, of something more. It, it, it's like you've seen, I don't know, you, you've tasted something and it's really good, but it leaves you wanting just something a little more than what you tasted because you know that what you tasted was really great, but it was really just a taste of the real. You see, in life, this is this world we live in, and I gave you that quote the other day, and it comes from the same setting of, you know, if a duck likes to swim, there's got to be water, a baby likes food, there's got to be, uh, a baby likes to eat, there's got to be something called food. But there's something inside of me that's being cultivated as this culture of heaven is realized in my heart that I don't belong here. Every, I love I love the beauty of our world. Like when I open up a pomegranate, I literally have a, a, a worship session. I do. Those 613 seeds supposedly that are in there, that's what the Jews say, right? Um, number of laws uh, in the law. Um, those seeds, are how they're like each package tight with this juice. And if you barely prick it, you're going to like stain your clothing. But it tastes amazing. It explodes in your mouth. And everyone's got a seed that if you planted it, it could produce another entire tree. Or you peel a banana and you think, what kind of God created a banana? Subsections of three inside each one. Pictures of the Trinity embedded in a banana. And then this totally sweetness and yet a bit of a flaky texture. Wow, what a God. I step outside and I see the majestic heavens, the sunset we saw coming in from Banga when we came out here from, um, from, from the airport and just these, these colors streaking across the sky and all this just resonates with me saying, wow, but there's something more. Like I want, I like it, but what would it look like without the smog? What would it look like without the soil being corrupted and those pomegranates being just a little bit sweeter? What would it look like if that banana again had been left on the tree until it was just perfect? See, there's always just a sense of something a little bit more. And that's actually beautiful because what I want us to understand when we come to our citizenship is in heaven, what Paul is saying is don't think that anything you have and are dealing with right now is the last chapter. Your experience of Christ, he is altogether lovely and beautiful, but you have only begun to taste one drop of the ocean of his beauty just a drop and it's coming but just a drop that i might know him i haven't attained maybe i stepped foot in the ocean but that was only the shore of one beach in a world with many vast oceans to explore you see, what Paul is painting for us here through this whole chapter is he's saying, there's more, there's more, there's more, there's more, there's more. And now he comes to, but our citizenship is in heaven. And I just wonder, are you living for that kingdom? Do you believe that? And I don't mean do you believe it with your intellect. I mean, do you believe it in faith and in practice? Are you living in such a way where when people look at you, they know that, oh, no, no, why, why, would, why would I make my investments here? I'm a citizen of heaven. Like, I come to India, right, and, and I'm here for 10 days, but it would be slightly foolish of me just due to laws and due to um, the, 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 the fact that, like, I don't know what your land ownership laws are here, let's say, but for a foreigner to invest in a foreign land, Oftentimes, and I've done it before, oftentimes you end up losing everything. And oftentimes it's uh, problems start between the two countries and you can't even go to the place that you invested in. 
There's a lot of things that happen. It's far away from where you are to start with. And I just wonder if we started to see this world as I'm just a pilgrim. I'm just passing through. This is not where I belong. I wonder if we would start to invest very differently. I wonder if we would stop trying to create little heavens on earth and rather communicate eternity to those around us through even the way in which we live. But with all that being said, let's get really practical. What is our role as a citizen of heaven here on earth? Well, we read it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It says that we are ambassadors. Now, I want to do a little quiz for you guys, all right? So, I would like, and I'm going to actually ask you to tell me, okay? But first, raise your hand. I would like you to name one current Indian ambassador to a foreign country. How many of you can name at least one current Indian ambassador to a foreign nation representing your land of over a billion souls? Not surprising. This is very normal. Don't feel bad. You know your ambassadors as well as the next country does. People don't know the ambassador. You know, your ambassadors are appointed by the highest office in the land. Now, let me ask you, how many of you can name the leader of your nation? I would assume a lot of hands, right? Yeah. Why? Because we know who's in charge. We know who appoints. We just don't always know who's appointed. Same thing is true in what we do. I'm an ambassador of Christ. But the thing about ambassador... I'm going to tell you a few things. All these things are true of you. First of all, let's discuss what are the qualifications of an ambassador. An ambassador has to have two things, or ideally, I guess if you're representing with the UN and you happen to be an American, that's the only exception. But an ambassador is going to be appointed by their head of state, and an ambassador is going to represent their nation in a foreign land. All right, let's see. Do we meet the requirements? John chapter 15, verse 16. Jesus Christ says, You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. So we've, we've qualified with number one. We've been chosen by our head of state to go and to bear fruit. Second part, are we in a foreign land? We already saw that, Philippians 3.20. Our citizenship is in heaven. Notice it does not say my citizenship will be in heaven. If it said my citizenship will be in heaven, then I could suggest that currently I might be a citizen here. But I'm not. My citizenship is in heaven, from which I also eagerly wait my Savior. Okay, so two qualifications, appointed by a head of state, representing foreign land, check, check. All right, so we got that down. We have the appointment of an ambassador. But let's look at something else. Since I'm an ambassador, what is my job description? Well, this is why I asked you the question about can you name uh, an Indian ambassador? All right, well, my job description is actually very simple. It is to communicate the policy of my nation in the land in which I am representing my country. I communicate the policy of my nation. Going back to 2 Corinthians 5.20, what have I been given? A message of reconciliation. That God in Christ was reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. So in other words, what I really am, another term for my position, is I'm a peace broker. In other words, I'm there to stand in the gap between souls that are enemies of God and my God. And I have a beautiful gift to proclaim, the gift of Jesus Christ. And so my job's very straightforward. I have a policy that there's no one righteous, no, not one, but whoever comes to Jesus Christ, he will in no wise cast out. He didn't come to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So I have a message to proclaim. And the thing about it is, people don't need to know the messenger. I didn't come up with a message. It wasn't my idea. It's not what I add to it. It's not really even how well I I say it. I'm just simply communicating it. 
Because God's chosen to communicate his message through weakness. When you read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, you see that our message is the message of the cross. And frankly, to the Jews, it's a stumbling block. And to the Greeks, which basically is everyone else, it's foolishness. Has much changed? The Jews still see it as a stumbling block. And the rest of the world still sees the gospel as foolish. Does that change what I do? No. It's the only message I have because it is the power of God, both to those who are saved and those who are perishing. It's the power of God. And so, with that being said, I've got my message. So, I'm appoint- I have my appointment. I have my message. Sorry, these are not going to start with the same letter for you. Second thing, or third thing, I mean, what, uh, what is my, like, pay, salary, how does all of this work out? This is important. Very important. I think a lot of times when it comes to finances, we as uh, followers of Jesus Christ really don't take advantage of what we've been given. And what I mean by that is I don't mean you'll have a lot in your pocket. No, no, no. Definitely not any form of prosperity preacher unless you mean dying with Christ. And that is great reward. But, My Bible has a chapter called Matthew 6, and I'm thankful it's there. After Jesus Christ says the words, which I've already given to you like twice this weekend, um, of do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust corrupt and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust corrupt and where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You got that part. But moving on, what does Jesus Christ say? I love this. It's so beautiful. He says, look at the birds of the air. And then later he says, look at the lilies of the field. Now, this is significant because actually, he actually doesn't say look at the lilies. He says, consider the lilies of the field. He says, look at the birds of the air. Uh, But with that said, if I am an ambassador, let's say I'm a United States ambassador in India, and the Indian market collapses, your stock market just plummets, um, there's just... There's no food in the market, just like everything, it's rough. Let me ask you a very simple question. How much has my salary been affected? Not by one dollar. Now the ambassadors from India will most likely be affected at some point, but not an ambassador to India. You have to understand that my source of financial support comes completely from an outside source. We too, as followers of Jesus Christ, and I'm not just talking finances here, I just give that as the illustration, our source of support, man cannot touch at all. The market that controls our provision is completely outside of the affecting of mankind. And so therefore, I have a little thing I do based off Matthew chapter 6. In the morning in Niger, it's a desert country, but I had um, planted a lot of vines in my house and, and plants, and I had a little pergola, whatever, so it kind of grows up over the top, and it's a nice little shaded area. And I had a little thing I would do in the morning. I would go outside my house, uh, nice in the cool, right when the sun's coming up, in the cool of the morning. And I'd go out there and I'd just shut up and listen. And it wouldn't take long until I would start to hear birds. The birds come to my house because I've got the place for them to hang out. And they come and tiny little sparrows. I mean, they're small. I can just squish them in my hand. Like, like seriously, but they're beautiful colors again. It's like God has placed these majestic designs on these tiny little birds in the desert. And they come and they are simply singing at one another. One singing their song and the other is doing the echo. And it's just beautiful. And I just wait for the birds to sing. And when the birds start singing, I remind myself, oh yeah, the birds ate again today. The birds were fed again today. They didn't plant anything. They didn't water but their heavenly Father fed them. Of how much more value are you than a sparrow? I'm so encouraged 
to know that as an ambassador of Jesus Christ in an ever-changing world, that I have a foundation and a source of support that nobody can touch. My father owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns the wealth in every mine. How can I not be in great hands? Corey Tenboom said this one time, and maybe I say this more so for those of you who are in so-called full-time work. I don't like that term at all. I don't like the term full-time work because we're all full-time. I don't like the term missionary because if you're in a foreign land representing Christ, you're a missionary, which kind of makes all of us a missionary. So I'm really not a fan of both those terms, but that's okay. That being said, if you're in what we call those things, I just want to encourage you with something. Corey Tenboom said, I'd rather be the child of a loving father than a beggar at the doorstep of worldly men. I just want to encourage you, whatever you're doing, whether you're in a business that's fluctuating and it's not doing well, whether you're in danger of losing your job, whether maybe right now you're unemployed, whatever the case is, I want to encourage you, you don't need to beg to people. You don't need to go... We live in a world of pure begging with all these crowdsourcing, crowdfunding online now. Oh, man, it's like every day somebody's just... And I'm not, I'm not saying we shouldn't help the poor. That's, I want to flip this around. Let's have eyes to see the body of Christ through the lens of how can I give to you? Let, let's have a perspective of God wants to use us as his ambassadors to care for his body. Let's be the most generous people on earth that have a culture, not of I need, but how can I give? You'll never outgive God. He'll always take care of you, without a doubt. You can try. I have friends that literally give over 100% of their salary now. Why? They just couldn't give God enough. They tried 10%, they tried 20%, they tried 30%, they tried 50 and God just kept giving like, okay, let's get more, 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 more. Until now, it's just like more comes in than they are even making. Why? Because we have a father who cares for us. This is the privilege of being his. Now, I didn't say he'll make you rich. I said he'll care for you. He might care for you in a prison cell in Bhutan because you choose to go take the gospel to mountainous people that have never heard it. You might find yourself in a hospital bed dying of cancer and he'll care for you by making sure his presence is felt till the last breath when you have your first breath in celestial air. You see, we are in such good hands. I don't know why we as Christians aren't more excited. I don't know why we're not more carefree and at peace. I'm not sure why anxiety and worries just grab us constantly. We have nothing to fear in this world. But there's something else about ambassadors. See, let's say now, going back to our illustration, but this time I'll put the ambassador uh, uh, of India in the United States. All right? and, and let's say that the United States, whatever, with, with somebody that they've irritated recently, that uh, they attack the United States and they attack uh, wherever the Indian embassy is, whether it's in New York or D.C., so, the attack happens. Once America is in war and that area is a war zone, you know the first person that India is going to remove, their ambassador. They're going to pull their, their diplomatic crew. Not pull them because they don't have a diplomatic relationship necessarily, but they're going to pull them because there's a war going on. I also want you to know that as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, we eagerly wait our Savior and there is coming a judgment on this world, and it is coming soon. I really believe that. And when I say soon, is it in my lifetime? Of course I don't know. But he said I'm coming soon, so I believe him. And I know one thing about his ambassadors. He's going to pull me out before that judgment's poured out. Imagine, let's make the example more vivid. Imagine India is attacking the United States. And they're going to, and again, this, I know this sounds like a stupid example, but you follow it spiritually, okay? Let's say they're going to drop the bomb right on Washington, D.C., and the Indian embassy is right there by the White House. Are they going to leave their ambassador sitting in that embassy knowing good and well that that bomb is falling right there? No. No nation does that. And we say that's a dumb example. I say, then how foolish is it for us to assume 
that our Heavenly Father doesn't know those who are His. And that He too isn't more excited than we are to have us home. We're so blessed. We are in the greatest of hands. Therefore, let's run with endurance the race set before us looking unto Jesus. Let's not worry about the things that so easily entangle us. You know what's interesting about that verse? Our citizenship is in heaven. That word citizenship is where, in Greek, is where we get the word politics as well. Basically, I could, I could read this verse a bit differently. I could say, but our politics are in heaven. Now that strikes home because I know enough about my Indian friends to know you guys are just as passionate about politics as a lot of my American friends. I see, I see the posts on Facebook, mostly from Chennai. Philip knows we have some of the same friends. And uh, he's on his ear. He's editing the video for us. It's okay. I'm just talking about you. Put him back in. Uh, it's better that way. <laughs> guys, when I'm in the States... It, it can be absolutely exhausting to me to see how entrenched the heart of Christians is in politics. I didn't say we don't care about what's happening around us. I mean, our heart is entrenched. My politics is in heaven. I'm going to give you an illustration. I actually got in trouble with one local church, a local church extremely close to me. I'll tell you what I said. And, uh, and I mean, like, literally, they put a disclaimer the week after I left from the pulpit saying, he didn't mean this. And I was like, I did mean it. Because they, they contacted me with the script that they read. And I was like, no. It's like, you can read it. That's fine. But don't put my, I, I'm not sorry. And you say, that's arrogant. No, no. Let me tell you what I said. See, in the United States, there's a pledge of allegiance. Kids learn it from a very young age, and they give it in classrooms all the time. It goes like this, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. And the Lord convicted me. I'm not convicted for anybody else. I've got no problem with other Christians saying the pledge. But I got convicted because I realized that is a lie. I do not pledge my allegiance to the United States. I can't pledge my allegiance to two things. That, that by very definition of allegiance doesn't make any sense. I can only have one throne. I can only have one true allegiance. And I've already pledged my allegiance to a different king, so it cannot be to the government of an earthly nation. When my kingdom, the Lord's kingdom, conflicts with my earthly allegiance, I must obey my eternal one and accept the consequences. And so I simply said in a very kind, soft, gracious way, I said, I simply can't as a citizen of heaven, pledge my allegiance to the United States of America. That would be like me, an American coming and saying to India, oh, I pledge my allegiance to India. And what happens when there's a conflict between the two? Because we know good and well there's a conflict between heaven and earth. That doesn't make any sense, does it? How does it make any sense spiritually? What I want you to see is not don't care about what's happening in our world. What I want to just leave with you is you are a citizen of heaven. The politics of the earth are going to be the politics of the earth. But come in there with your focus on eternity, with your mindset of putting everything through the filter of knowing him more. Minister love and care and encouragement in the midst of a tumultuous world. I didn't say don't go vote. That's fine. Vote, but don't put your confidence and, and hope there. I'll tell you this much. When the United States has elections, I don't lose any bit of sleep between that Tuesday and Wednesday that they vote. Not a bit. I sleep great on Monday night. I sleep great on Tuesday night. I sleep great on Wednesday night. Because my king is on the throne and he's not up for election. (laughs) I didn't vote him in and I can't vote him out. And another thing. United States makes a lot of noise about a Supreme Court recently. (laughs) They don't even realize that's not the Supreme Court. Supreme Court is quite a bit higher. And there's not nine judges. There's only one. And he has the last word. I'm a citizen of heaven. This world's not my home. That's why when I talk about cancer and I talk about dying, sometimes people say that's an interesting perspective. And I say, is it? How can it be interesting? I'm just getting super excited that maybe I'll get to go home soon. And maybe not. Maybe I'll be here for a long time. But why would I not be pumped? 
Why would I not be eager? That doesn't even make sense to me not to be excited about seeing Jesus. There's nothing in this world that that holds me here. Yes, I love my wife. I love my child. I, 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 I love my family. I love you. For the body of Christ's sake, sure, it's better to stay a little bit. But for me? No. I'm out of here. There was a man who served the Lord in a country outside the United States, and he was from the States. And he came home, he was coming back on a ship. This was years ago when there were no planes taking us around. Um, And he came back on a ship into New York Harbor. He had been gone for about 20 years. And for the first time in 20 years, he was going to be reunited with his earthly family and with his friends. and, And they all knew he was coming. Well, what he did not realize was he was actually in the, on the same ship as President Woodrow Wilson, a former president of the United States. And, and when they approached New York Harbor, he was on deck seeing the United States come into view for the first time in a long time. And he was getting excited and like, man, I'm going to see my family. And then he heard it. He heard this band playing and he saw all these people on shore waving flags and all excited. And he was just like, man, I thought, I mean, I figured there'd be people to to welcome me, but I had no idea there would be this many. Then when he got closer and closer, uh, it was all for the president, not him. And they were all excited. He had just come home from like a two week trip abroad. And when he stepped off the boat in New York Harbor, there wasn't one person to even meet him. Not one to welcome him home. And he prayed and he said, God, is this the way it is? I served you all these years and I finally come home and there's nobody here to even welcome me? The Lord said, child, you're not home. Believe me, when you come home, there'll be somebody to welcome you. I have a prayer I pray. I think it's selfish. I've got two prayers. One has to do with looking in your eyes. The other one, I think it's selfish, but I still pray it. Acts chapter 7, you've got the story of Stephen. And you remember when Stephen's about to die? He says something very strange. He's about to have rocks launched into him until he bleeds to death from concussions and whatever else happens. I mean, normally they they bury you up to your neck, but I think for him, he probably wasn't even buried. And before he's stoned to death, he looks up to heaven and he says this. He says, I see Jesus standing at the Father's right hand. Now that always gets me because I'm like, hang on, that's not where Jesus normally is. What's he doing? He's sitting but Stephen says, I see Jesus standing. And I, I, I was like, wait, wait, why is he standing? Why is he standing? And then I'm like, I, I know. He's standing because Stephen's about to come home. He's going to welcome him. Time for a hug. More than that. And I started praying a prayer. I said, Lord, I want to live a life. Where when it's time for me to die, I want Jesus to stand and say, hang on guys, I got to welcome him home. I know it's selfish, but are we eagerly awaiting our Savior? Are we living life in such a way where we're not letting this world tie us down? Are we living in such a way where Christ is our prize? Where his glory is our reward? This is what Paul closes this epic exhortation of Philippians chapter 3 out. He says, therefore, my beloved, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord. This world doesn't have many places to stand firm. If you stand firm with a political group, I guarantee in a few years, you won't be standing firm. If you stand firm in a certain stock that you invest in within a few years, you better reinvest that stock. If you stand firm in certain relationships within a few years, 
those relationships waver. But if you stand firm in the Lord, you'll find yourself on a foundation that death itself cannot remove. In fact, death itself will only be a conduit to enjoying that foundation more fully. That I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Let me share a story with you. I'm going to close with a poem in just a bit here. But let me share a little story with you since we have the time. Uh, There's a man that really demonstrated this uh, in Hebrews chapter 11. And and I I want to just paint paint this in the right way so you understand. The man is Moses. And and you see his story from Hebrews 11 verse 23 down to about verse 28. But he was offered the riches of Egypt, okay? Now, pause. I'm going to get to Hebrews 11. We're going to read a verse. Uh, You don't have to turn there, but I'm going to read a verse there in just a minute. But I want you to hear the story first. I want to show you how, how, how the enemy is very subtle and how the enemy wants to get us tied down. Years ago, this is like back in my early 20s, after I left basketball and all that, and I know you're going to be like, okay, this is a really random detail about your life, but it's true. I was also an actor. I, I didn't plan on being an actor, but I was an actor um, in, in college, in university, and then we got offered a national contract. We turned it down because my heart was to work with kids, and the other guys on the team, they had other aspirations. So one is still in, in film to some degree. But um, that being said, we said no. So I left, and I went to work in the Middle East. So now I'm working in the Middle East. I've completely left all forms of acting, film, Hollywood, nothing. I was randomly one day just doing what I do, and I got an email. And the email was from... A casting agency in Hollywood, in Los Angeles, California. And it was specifically from the History Channel. And the History Channel was launching a new show, and it was going to be a reality-type show, kind of like an Amazing Race-type show. And they were looking for a host for the show. And they'd gotten my resume from somebody that had submitted it to them, not me. And they basically said, would you consider this position? And if so, they wanted a few things from me. Well, I was like, this is really strange because most people that try to get a position have to live in Hollywood. They try to work really hard. They get commercials. They get little spots. Not somebody who's like a new show being launched by a primary channel and a host position. So I was like, this is strange. Something weird is going on here. And it was not spam. It was real. So I wrote them back and I said, uh, well, first of all, I have to tell you the name of the show. The name of the show, season one was going to be called The Treasures of Egypt. So the whole season one was in Egypt, and they were going to be at different um, places, historical areas, and that's where it's taken. So The Treasures of Egypt. And so I, I wrote back to the casting agency, and I said, um, can I pray about it for a little bit? And they said, look, we need your decision fairly soon, but you can pray. I mean, I didn't say you can pray. They said, do whatever you got to do. <laughs> that's what they said. You do whatever you got to do, um, but we need to know, we need to know like, by the end of the week. And this was on Monday. So I said, okay. So I didn't tell many people. I told like my father and I told uh, like one or two other people and I started praying. And I think it was on Tuesday. It was Tuesday or Wednesday, but I believe it was Tuesday. I was reading in Hebrews chapter 11. Now I want you to get the sense of humor that God has, okay? Like, listen, you don't need to be there. Listen, just listen to what God put in his word a couple thousand years ago for me that day. Speaking of Moses, by faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Verse 26, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. (laughs) For he was looking to his reward. God put the name of the show in there for me, made it so clear. I wrote him back immediately. I didn't need till Friday. I said, thank you, but I'm out. What I want to leave with you is there's a greater treasure. There's an upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I know you don't see it with your earthly eyes, but you see it with your eternal eyes. We don't look at the things we see. We look at the things we don't see, right? Because the things you see, they're just temporary. The things you don't see are eternal. 2 Corinthians 4.18. I want to challenge us as the body of Jesus Christ, as the church of Christ, as we finish all this brief weekend out, 
as we go back into what we sometimes call the real world, but really the real world's happening right here too, I challenge you. You're a citizen of heaven, and I challenge you that your Savior is coming soon. The church, I'm going to leave you with this word after the poem, I'm going to get the poem, but this word, because I say it all the time to my friends. I've said it to Hudson many times. I say it to the boys that travel with me. I say it to people close to me, and I want to leave it with you because I want to be able to say it to you in emails and in Facebook messages and in Instagram posts. It's a word that was uh, used in the early church when men and women were about to go be burned by Nero in the streets as torches because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And as they were being dragged away from their family, never to see those faces on earth again, They had one word they would say, just one quick word as they were snatched away. Maranatha. Maranatha. The Lord is coming soon. I want us to encourage one another with those words. You know why? Because 1 Thessalonians 4, 13-18 tells us to do that. It says, I don't want you to be ignorant about those who have fallen asleep, that you sorrow like those who have no hope. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, the trump of God, and we who are alive and those who are dead will be raised, and we who are alive and remain will be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And verse 18 says, therefore comfort one another with these words. If you're not comforted this morning, chances are you think you're a citizen of earth. But if you know you don't belong, the word Maranatha is sweet your ears. Christ is coming soon. And I say with the voice of revelation, even so, come Lord Jesus. I'm going to leave you with a poem. It's a poem that's very special to me because it's written by my sister. My sister was not quite on her deathbed. She, she's still alive today, but I thought she was going to die and I was heading to the Middle East and I thought I would never see my sister again. She has a disease called Lyme disease, and it just has brutally attacked her body for many years. And at one of her lowest points when it was not expected that she would recover, she wrote these words. And I think these words sum up what we've been talking about for the last six sessions. So I want to leave them with you. I sang the hymns on Sunday, and I knew all the lines. To all to Jesus I surrender and his hand in mine. But then the day arrived when God put it to the test. He said, I want to use your life to show my way is best. I want folks to only hear words. It's not enough to quote the lines on which you have been raised. I want your life to prove it. I want the world to see what I can do within a heart surrendered to me. For I will show the great things that I, the Lord, can do. And, uh, I'm sorry, I can show that I, the Lord, can do. I will display my glory and I'm asking to use you. But I don't need your efforts, your energy or strength. I'm not looking for a hero or some superhuman saint. I want to have your weakness. I want to take your pain and use your inabilities to glorify my name. And I want you to trust me to daily seek my face. Get this. I have not promised answers. I've only promised grace. For the underlying issue is really not about all the great things I'll do through you or the way you'll help me out. But it's what I'm doing in you that I want the world to see. That the way a life of nothingness is made beautiful in me. So trust me, precious child. And someday you'll understand that's what seemed to you so senseless was exactly what I had planned. That I might know him and the power 
of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings becoming like him. Therefore, press on. Jesus is coming soon. Let's pray. Father, awaken in our hearts a passion for your glory, a burning desire to know you and an eager anticipation to see you. And let us never be content with the feeble imitations of the world. But teach us to long for more intimacy with our God. I pray that we might remain steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, never forgetting that our labor is not in vain in you. I pray all this because of and in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.